Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of God. We're going back to the basics, back to the fundamentals. And uh, we even talked on Sunday about that, a little bit about Vince Lombardi and how we need to get back to our roots and the basics. And thank you for being faithful on a Wednesday night. You'll also remember that um, I told you that I would not, will not back down on the doctrine. We will stay strong and faithful to the doctrine. I told you that we would not back down on holiness, that we would continue to be a holy people, that we would be pleasing to God and glorifying of him. Amen. So I am going to do some teaching tonight on holiness. I don't know if they, I don't think they knew I was going to do that. Did you notice all the songs had holy, holy, holy in them? So I think we're on the right track here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither the fornicators or idolaters or adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor the abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Let me stop right there. Remember what I just read. When somebody says to you, I'm gay and I'm going to heaven. I'm a drunkard and I'm going to heaven. I'm a liar and I'm going to heaven because Jesus loves me and he doesn't care. That's not what this says. Something's going to have to happen in your life before you're going to be qualified. And I'm going to share with you what that is. Because the next verse says, and such were some of you. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Aren't you glad for the born-again experience? Hallelujah. You don't have to be what you once were. You can be a brand new person in Christ. And then I want to read the 19th, skip down to 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God and do you not know that you're not your own you are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's so I want to talk to you tonight on this subject it was my body now it's God's temple it was my body but now It's God's temple. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Sister Bauer. Here we go. Get your pens and pencils and papers and... But here we go. I want to talk to you about Christ in the church. I believe that marriage 
is a shadow of the heavenly. It is not the origin. It is a shadow of the heavenly. I believe that Jesus Christ is the groom and that the church is the bride. And based upon that relationship and its qualifications, we get a glimpse on earth through marriage. But it's a shadow. It is not the original. Now, I had one young man come up to me after service on Sunday and he said, Brother Kylie, I feel impressed of the Lord to tell you this. When people don't say amen or shout hallelujah, it doesn't mean they're not agreeing with you. It's just that they're thinking about what you're saying. <laughs> okay? So I'm telling you that your marriage is not the original. It is the shadow of the heavenly. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 and talk about the comparison here that Paul makes to the church at Ephesus and the instruction that he gives to wives and husbands. Ephesians 5 and 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Do you see the connections that he's making here between our earthly marriages and our heavenly marriage? Verse 31, this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother will be joined to his wife. They shall be one flesh. It did not say they are. It said they shall be. Marriage is a continual process. Uh, we just celebrated 44 years recently and we're still growing. We're still learning. We're still becoming more oneness in our relationship. But it says they shall be one flesh. Now this is a great mystery. You could be confused. But I am speaking concerning Christ and the church. He's made a direct comparison. And let every one of you in particular so love his wife. Here's the instruction again to the men. Love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. The instruction even to the husband was husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The comparisons between the relationships cannot be overlooked. They cannot be overlooked. God has given us unto holiness. God has given us unto holiness. How will he help us to be holy? He will give us a holy Bible. His holy instruction. He will give us his Holy Spirit. When you've got the combination of an attitude that says, I want to be pleasing to God and I will search the scriptures in the Holy Bible and do my best to live a holy life because of his Holy Spirit, you will experience wholeness with a W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. Because holiness leads to wholeness. 
I'm remembering what the young man said. (laughs) Genesis 1 and 26. God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. You know, I can read the rest of it here, but, but let me stop right there. We say, we say, well, let us make man in our image. So God created us after the image that he would one day wear, and we say that's Jesus Christ. So, so we're, cre- we're created after the image that Jesus would one day wear. I think it's more than that. I think it is the goal of God to create us not only after the physical image, but after the spiritual image, after the character, after the nature of God, after his likeness. What's God like? It's more than just a physical thing here, folks. You gotta, surely there's a few times you'll be able to say amen. It's more than just a physical image that God is after. You already have a physical image that is after the image of God. What more does God want? He wants us to be a holy people. He wants us to take on his image and the things that he likes after his likeness. I want God to like me. I know I'm too, sometimes I'm too simple, but I just want God to like me. I want God to say, I'm pleased with this guy. He's trying to be pleasing to me and he, and he tries to do the right thing or she pleases me and she tries to do the right thing. I like her. It's more, it's more than just loving, it's liking somebody. You can love somebody and not even like them. But you can not like them and not love them. I want God to like me, created after his likeness. We are new birthed as the bride of Christ to please each other. 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Now we're, again, we're gonna take a look at the natural, earthly marriage and the heavenly. And here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verse four. The wife no longer has power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also, the husband hath not power over his body, but the wife. What does that mean? We belong to each other exclusively. This body is no longer mine. Now I have responsibilities to take care of it, but it's not mine alone. My body now also belongs to my wife and my wife's body belongs to me. That's part of becoming one flesh. And I know we have children here, so I'll be discreet. But do you understand what I'm saying? We, we don't just belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to God first and to our spouse second. And the relationships are the origin and the shadow. Somebody say amen. Okay, thank you. Defraud not one another. That means don't go apart from one another. 
Don't shut each other down, except it be with consent for a time so that you can give yourselves to fasting and prayer and then you can come together that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. I think you can understand that. There's a difference. He goes on in verse 34. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried virgin cares for the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married careth for the things of the world how she may please her husband. We have to be conscientious. I'm talking about the shadow now, about being pleasing to our spouse. That's what I'm getting out of this. You know, my wife had a, had bought a uh, outfit recently and she wore it to church on Sunday. And I noticed it. And she said, hey, how'd you like the outfit I wore? I said, I really liked it. I think that's a really nice outfit that you have there. She said, well, then I'll wear it more often. Why? Because she wants to please her husband. Are you getting what I'm saying? When somebody says to you, why, why, why? That's that's the way kids are. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? Why can't I wear this? Why can't I do that? Why can't I go here? You gotta have an answer for the hope that lies in you. And the answer needs to be because I want to be pleasing to God. I want to be pleasing to God. When my wife compliments me about a shirt, or if she happens to be in a store with me, I'll even say to her, hey, what do you, I like this shirt. What do you think? Well, I don't like it. You know what? I'm turned off. Even if I liked it. Because if it's not going to be pleasing to her, every time I wear it, I'm going to be thinking, my wife never did like this shirt. Are you getting it? We try to please one another. Now, if we do that, here's the point. If we do that in the natural, what about the spiritual? Shouldn't it be the same if we're the bride of Christ that we want to be pleasing to God? What do you think about this, Lord? How do you like this? How do you like the way I dress? How do you like the way I talk? How do you feel about my character and my involvement in these certain activities? Because you know what? I want to be pleasing to you. And it's obvious from the scripture that you are holy and you want me to be holy. Okay. Romans 12 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. For what purpose? To be acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let me stop here. Let me tell you how God feels about you. You know what his reasonable service is? He gave his life. He put his body on a cross. He allowed himself to be beaten for my sins and crucified for my soul. That's how much he loves me and wants to be pleasing to me. 
So he says to me, I would like you to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he recognizes here, and this even fits into the, our 21st century, and he says, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't let the world tell you what's right. Let the word, not the world, let the word and the spirit of God determine what's pleasing to God. Don't let the world do it. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He rebukes them. You may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, first cleanse that which is within the cup and the platter that the outside of them may be clean also. We don't have to settle for one or the other. I'm going to say it again. We don't have to settle for one or the other. Just clean on the inside and filthy on the outside. Just filthy on the outside. No, we don't have to settle. We can have both. God wants it both. And he says, I want it to start on the inside. And that's what we need to learn as the church. We need to remember where we were when we came in. That's why I chose the scripture I did at the beginning. Remember what you were and who you were when you first came into the church. Be patient with people that don't look so good on the outside. Understand that they need to be cleansed on the inside. And then let God do his thing. They'll get into the word. They'll be desirous of pleasing him. They'll have a love for God. God will speak to them. Has God spoken to you and I? Then can God not speak to them? What's your source of holiness? Where do you get your standard from? You need to get your standard from the word of God. I'm gonna keep saying it. You need to get your standard from the word of God and the spirit of God. And it starts with your attitude. It always comes back to this. And you're gonna get tired of me saying it, but I'm gonna keep saying it. I want to be pleasing to God. I wanna be pleasing to God. Holiness is, is to God and before man. It is outward, but it first must become inward. The inward experience of repentance and the emptying of the cup, the washing of our bodies and our spirit in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins and the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives us the utterance is the new birth experience that cleanses us from the inside and then motivates us, not just for outward holiness, but service and usefulness and faithfulness 
in the kingdom of God. You can't get people to be loving and, and fruitful and faithful without an experience that takes place on the inside first. That's a church of reformation. They're trying to reform their lives. We are a church of a rebirth experience. We are born again of the water and of the spirit. Something has changed on the inside of us before we ever consider anything else. The outward becomes our love for our savior. So there are three ways, three ways that I believe that we, we can be holy. And I know that a lot of times people want to put the emphasis on only one, but I'm putting the emphasis on all three tonight. And the first one that I'm going to mention is appearance. We need to be holy in our appearance. Now consider this. I can see farther than I can hear. If somebody is back there by that office and they're making this, their way to this sanctuary and they're talking to somebody, I can see them and I can recognize them even though I can't hear what they're saying. So you never get a second chance at a first impression. And let's be honest about it. Appearance is the first thing that we notice about somebody because we see them coming. And if we have any prejudice, if we have any preconceived ideas, we look at their appearance before we ever hear a word they say or see any of their actions. Appearance is important. I remember when I went to business classes in school, they said, here's the way it works. When you go apply for a job, you need to stand tall and look good. You don't go in there sloppy and holes in your blue jeans and tennis shoes and cutoffs on your t-shirt. You dress for success. Anybody else over here that? You dress for success. You put on your best. Well, that's overkill. That's, that's old school. Oh, okay. That's the way you feel. Try it your way. But that's what we were taught. And they said, and when you appear before the person that could help you or give you a job, this is what they're going to do with you. They're going to start at the top and work their way down. The first thing people are going to notice about you is your hair. Your personal grooming. Then they're going to take a look at your face. And then they're going to work their way down. I'm telling you this because I still believe it's true. People might say, well, you shouldn't, you know I, know, I know the favorite verse of scripture here is that God looketh on the, you know, man looketh on the outside and God looks on the heart. Let me, you know what? I'm not going to get to all my scriptures and I, I'll do my best to follow what you got up there. But let me tell you something about that. I care about what man thinks. I know you're hesitant to say that because you say, well, I care about what God thinks. He looks on the heart. It did not say that God does not see the outward. It merely says God can see beyond the outward. He sees the outward and the inward. Man can't. Man can't see your heart. He can only see your outward, but he sees it. And if we are the ambassadors... If we are the representative of Jesus Christ on the earth, we better be giving a good representation. Yeah. 
of Jesus Christ to the world. What's their first impression of God? Not some self-righteous, arrogant, judgmental person. I'm not, that's speaking and that's acting incorrectly, even though you look good on the outside. That's pharisaical. And I'm not, I'm not saying we should be that. I'm saying we should be clean inwardly and outwardly. I'm trying to make this plain. Genesis chapter 22. Let me share this with you. It's a revelation to me. The rib which the Lord God had taken from man, this is Genesis 2, 22. Made he a woman, he brought her to the man. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, this is Brother Kylie's opinion. You don't like it, throw it away. Even though they had on no clothes, they did not see themselves as naked because they were righteous. But when they sinned, They saw the nakedness of each other. Now, this is what God gave me, so I'm just going to give it to you. There are three dress codes in the second chapter of Genesis chapter 2. The first dress code is this. When Satan gets you to sin, he leaves you naked. They had no clothing. They were embarrassed. Sin strips you of any righteousness and any dignity. It shames you. And it leaves your life in a shambles, separated from God. That's dress code number one. Satan has always, I hope I don't offend children, Satan has always tried to get the clothes off of people. The minimal amount He's always trying to make us naked and show things we shouldn't show that should be saved for our spouse or for our God or both. That's dress code one. Dress code number two. Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons, aprons of self-righteousness. Their righteousness came from themselves. They made the aprons. They covered themselves. That's self-righteousness. That's dress code number two. But here comes God. And he kills animals, sheds their blood, and makes them coats. Now, my wife has worn aprons at home. And she's always worn clothes underneath her aprons. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Aprons are short and immodest without clothing. So God said aprons ain't good enough. I'm going to give you coats and there's going to be bloodshed involved. God is covering us modestly. God is covering us modestly. He's always been that way. Men, 
First Timothy chapter two, verse nine. Talking about modesty now. In like manner also, women adorn themselves, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, all of this jewelry in the hair business, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Modesty is vitally important. Dress like a woman if you're a woman, dress like a man if you're a man, but still, you can even dress properly and not be modest. Tight-fitting clothing, revealing, seducing, seductive, is not modest. I know I'm not gonna be popular. I wanna be popular with God, though. I want you to know God, God wants us to be a modest people. A modest people. And tight-fitting clothing. Skin tight. I don't know how you even breathe sometimes. I've seen people. Man, I, I'm going to pop a button or something. if you. You know what I'm saying? Be modest. Stay covered. Stay under authority. We are meant to be different. How many men, I'm gonna, I can get away with this. How many men that are married are really glad that you married a woman and that she's different than you are? I'm one of them, hallelujah. God made us different and I'm so glad. I mean, I got a lot of good men friends, but I don't sleep with them. I go home to this beautiful woman every night and I'm so glad that she's different than I am. All right, now watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. I think we may have a misprint here, but doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. That's a question. Now, it's up to you to answer. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? So what is supposed to be the length of a man's hair? Short. Deep, isn't this deep? I'll take questions after. <laughs> I will take questions. If a man, if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. Her hair is given her for a covering. Now, you, the only way you'd understand that is verse 10. For this cause ought a woman to have power on her head because of the angels. The woman's long hair is her covering, signifying she is under authority. Have you noticed that women, even outside of the Christian movement, wear veils and cover and keep themselves very covered? Not only in their clothing, but even on their hair and on their face. It's because they're saying they are spoken for. But the long hair of the woman is her covering. 
And the short hair of the man is his identity. Okay? And I'm so glad that we're different. We should be different. We should be different. Take a look at this. This is uh, Genesis. Um, Genesis 3. I talked about this. Uh, them opening up their eyes, saw they were naked, sewed fig leaves together, and the coats. So I have to ask myself this question. Am I dressing to please myself, others, or my spouse? Now, some people are people pleasers. Here's, here's one danger. I'm, I'm really stepping out here. I could get shot from a lot of directions. <sighs> Why we do what we do needs to come from a desire to please God based upon what we see in God's word and through God's spirit. Not from, not even from your pastor, not from the UPC, that's, otherwise, you're just trying to please your pastor or your church or the UPC. Again, I know you're tired of me saying it, but I can't emphasize it enough. It's got to be that you want to please God. And if it becomes a pleasing God issue, it will stick. And it will never change and it will never go away. Even if other churches and organizations change, even if they change, it won't matter. And I'm, I'm going to be totally honest and frank with you tonight. Some people will leave this church because they think the standard is too high. And other people will leave because they think the standard is too low. And I talked with my wife about this. I, you know, we have these talks. And I said, honey, where have we changed? Have we changed? I don't think we have. Maybe some people have. That's on you. You're going to give an account to God of yourself. Good news for you. You don't have to give account for abundant life. You don't have to give an account for your brother or your sister. You just have to give an account for you. Amen? And if your desire is to be pleasing to God, you won't have any problems. And you'll be consistent. And that's what the world wants. They want to see your consistency. And God will praise you for it. That's why he said, well done, you good and... You stayed the course. You were consistent. Now, watch this. Here's, there's still two other ways that we have to be pleasing to God. The way that we speak needs to be pleasing to God. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Foul jokes. That's not pleasing to God. Let me give you a couple of verses of scripture here. Matthew 12 and 36. I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Is that what you want? Are you prepared to give an account? 
Look at what James has to say. Uh, James 3 and 10. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. We can't come to church and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, God is good all the time, and then go out in the parking lot and swear? Or go to the workplace and tell jokes or even be willing to listen to jokes that we know we shouldn't be a part of? Our words are judged, not just by God, but by the people that we are ministering to or working with. They hear the way we talk, and they will be real quick to correct you. You call yourself a Christian? I don't think that joke was appropriate. Or if you ever slip up, if you'd ever, oh, God forbid, if you ever cursed, they would never let you forget it. They can do it all the time. We have to, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. That's, that should be our desire. Psalms 19 and 14. No gossip, no slander. Are our words kind, true, and necessary? And then there's a third way that we need to be holy. We need to be holy with the way that we conduct ourselves. We need to be people of our word. If we say we're going to do something, even if it's detrimental to us, we've got to hold to our word. We've got to treat people fairly, even if they don't treat us fairly. People are watching your conduct all the time. The way you conduct yourself, the way you respect authority, the way you do your job, the way you interact with other employees, the way you get along with your neighbors. They're watching all the time. And you know, you say, well, they're, they're just hoping I'll slip up. No, I used to think that. I don't think so anymore. I think they're hoping that somebody will be genuine. That somebody will still be willing to do the right thing. Maybe there are a few good examples left. And we need to be those people. Not as self-righteous people. Not as pharisaical people. But because something holy lives inside of us. And we again want to be pleasing to God. Titus 2 and 11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, watch this, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority, and let no man despise you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, 
a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now you're the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. There it is. They're watching. And we need to be glorifying God in all areas of our life. Say, well, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. Just keep working on it. Just let, now hear me. Hear me. Be patient with people. Let God work with people. You're not the holiness inspector. You're not the fruit inspector. You're not the cop. Okay? Let God do things. Can you say amen? Now, let me ask you this. I, I know my time is up. Let me tell you what I think about holiness. Do you know what forgiveness is? It's holiness. When I forgive somebody, that's being holy. That's what God does. You know what mercy is? That's holiness. Do you know what faithfulness is? That's holiness. You know what giving is? That's holiness. Do you know what worship is? That's holiness. All of these things that we preach, that's a part of holiness. That's a part of our DNA. That's who we are. You say, well, I failed in some of those areas. Okay, get back up, keep working at it. I'm with you. I failed too. But get back up, let's try it again. Let's keep working on it. Amen? Because here's the goal. Do you know that in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis, it begins with a tire. And in the book of Revelation, it ends with a tire. Revelations chapter 19. Here's where we'll stop tonight. Revelations 19 and 7. We're talking about the bride of Christ. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. The marriage of the lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. Can somebody say amen? amen. And because of that, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. God provided a garment in Genesis and God provides a garment in Revelation. Hmm. And 21 and 1 says, let's stand together. I saw a new heaven, Revelations 21 and 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea 
And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Why? Why did God drop all of that out of heaven? Because it was prepared as a bride, adorned, adorned for her husband. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. That's what a good groom does. Let's be the bride of Christ. Let's be pleasing to God in all areas of our life. Let's give the world an example that will glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Jesus, thank you so much tonight for giving everything, your life on a cross for our sins, your shame, your pain, your sacrifice will always be remembered. Help us to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.